Welcome to Guidepost to the Crossroads. I am William Ramada. This podcast is to help you remember that you have a purpose in life. This is to motivate, inspire, and guide you to a happy, fulfilled life. The world can be a noisy place, and we tend to lose focus on the purpose of our individual journeys. I use my various experiences, education, and other modalities to help you cancel out the noise and focus on your needs and desires in your journey. Welcome to Guidepost to the Crossroads. I am William Ramada. I'm the host of this podcast. And today, I just want to talk about my journey, where I came from, uh, where I am today, and where my vision is taking me for the future, for the podcast, um, for my life coach business, and just life in general. Uh, This will be just a summation because obviously on a podcast, it it could probably take a long time to... uh, tell the story. So, I am somebody that I believe that everybody should know. You know, I stand in my power and I draw in the very best for my life. I grew up in the hills of upper mid-state New York. I am the firstborn of five children and I was born in the Warmth of spring under the festive sign of Gemini on May 30th. This was the watershed year of 1968, a turning point for all American people. It was a year of vivid colors, startling sounds, and searing images. And I am a person that is very authentic. I am unapologetically me. I now am very confident for somebody that used to be very self-conscious and not too confident at all. And I view my voice as a gift. And in this podcast, I want to use my gift to help others to view their lives and the power that they had the ability to use. Because we all have powers. We all have the ability to create our lives in the way that we wish to live. And I know it seems impossible at times because we let others control ourselves. But I'm here to remind you that We are who we choose to be. Others do not control our lives. We let them do it oftentimes. But, you know, it just... But we have to come into the realization that I control my life. And that's the way it is. Now, obviously, as when I was a child and I was growing up in New York, um, I did not come from money. Uh, Our family was quite... Poor, actually, and a lot of the things that I might say are 
my family may not agree with, or maybe they do, um, because we all have our own perspective on things. I have three sisters and a brother, and each of us have a different perspective on life. I am the oldest, so of course I grew up in different times than they did. Um, I'll, being born in 1968 um, as the oldest, um, it was just a different time than perhaps my sister that was born in the 1980s, right? Uh, the way her parents raised us was much different. After five children, uh, parents seemed to relax a little bit more with the youngest, such as I did, uh, my wife and I, with ours. So we have a tendency to view things in the manner of the times that we grew up in. Um, I, we had less money when I was growing up than perhaps when my youngest sister was growing up. So maybe my views on things are different, which obviously they are because that's the way people are. All of our views are different. Our perspectives are different. Uh, the way we grew up, the towns we grew up in, the friends we had, uh, the school teachers, everything plays a role in the way that we think. But as we get older, we come to the realization that we have to think for ourselves and we have to deal with our lives in our own particular way. So as I was saying, we didn't have money when I was growing up and... You know, I just didn't agree that life should have to be this way. So as I grew up, my stepfather, who raised us since I was about eight years old, I suppose, maybe a little younger, um, I learned everything from him. And even though I probably didn't agree with everything that he did, of course, because growing up in a Divorce family is hard, and that is something that really affected my life as well. Um, I can remember one of the first times that I felt like an outcast because we lived in an apartment, and my stepfather, at the time my mother's boyfriend, came by, and it was nice outside, and I liked to sit and read, and... He basically kicked me out of the house, told me to go outside. I, and so that was probably the first trigger that made me feel like I don't belong. And, and it seems as if throughout life we traveled around and I went to different schools. And of course when you go to a different school you feel ostracized sometimes like you don't belong because... Kids, as kids are, they challenge you. And, you know, I've been in several fights in school because of that, you know, getting challenged. And I wasn't one to take the challenge lately. And so, you know, there's just several things like that that has happened throughout life. And it continued on as I grew older and when I joined the Navy. And it was the same way when I was in the Navy. So basically, I was kind of bullied throughout my life and being different and just 
you know, different causes like that um, that just had me, you know, really not feeling confident about myself. When I was uh, pre-teen and teen, I got acne really bad, and that was another cause for being bullied and picked on, uh, called ugly and dirty and just all kinds of things like that that worked on my self-conscience right there. And uh, that also continued on through, even in boot camp, I can remember a time where uh, there's a couple of guys in there that says, oh, you're dirty, you know, because I had acne. Well, obviously it wasn't because I was dirty. It's not like I didn't take showers or anything. It was just something hereditary that just took over. And eventually it was taken care of by medicines and I kind of outgrew the stuff. So, you know... So you can kind of see the trend of how people can think that they are different or not worthy or something like that because of the people in your lives. And so these trials and tribulations, you know, they might not sound bad. I mean, and in a lot of times, a lot of them were worse. But when you're young like that... Uh, the trauma does kind of get stuck into your head and we kind of push these down into our memories and try to forget. And of course, that does nothing to help. Uh, it just builds up, builds up, builds up. And then sooner or later, you're going to explode or you begin to do things that you shouldn't be doing, uh, causing trouble. And, you know, that's why a lot of people in a life of crime or whatever, or they they marry the wrong people or, you know, just kind of things like that because we suppress the things, but they are still in our subconscious. And, you know, so it was there for me and I really didn't understand what was going on. You know, I was young when my family got divorced and, you know, their lives, my mother and father's lives, continued on as whatever they wanted to continue on to be. They both met somebody. They both got remarried. And the children, even though they try to explain it and everything, kind of get left behind mentally just and emotionally, so to speak. And, you know, so these kind of build up and they they wear on you on the inside. And as I became a preteen, I met up with some people that probably shouldn't have been hanging with, but I did. And uh, I was young. I probably started smoking uh, marijuana. I tried marijuana at 12, I think I was, around that just before I turned 13. And it, it kind of went up from there. And then as I got older, I started drinking. And although I never really got into any big problems as a teenager, you know, here's where drugs and alcohol started to become active in life. And even, even though I didn't always hang out with the bad people because I got along with everybody, but, you know, those are the things I kind of tended to go to, I guess, a self-medication because when you're 
drunk or high, you know, you feel like you can be yourself and you don't worry about the other things in life. So that's where the story began. And that's where some troubles began also because addiction is not a fun place to be in where I actually ended up being after a while. But anyway, as a young person, I I always had this feeling like I wanted to help people. You know, so I always thought I wanted to be a psychiatrist or psychologist or, you know, something within that field where I could help people. And because we didn't have the money, I knew there was no way we were going to go to college. And there was no way that I was going to be able to get a loan to go to college because, you know, who's going to give a 17, 18-year-old person a loan to go to college when they don't have the money? And my stepfather always talked about the Navy. And he always talked about how he wished he never got out, that he stayed in, he could have had a retirement. So that weighed in on my decisions, and, you know, I figured, you know, that's a good deal. Um, that's what I'll do. I'll go join the Navy, I'll save up money, and, you know, and, and then I will just go from there, you know. And so that's basically what I ended up doing. I did end up joining the Navy. I was 18, 17 when I signed up. My mother had to sign for me, of course. But it wasn't until I was 18 when I left. And I did. I joined the Navy. I went to boot camp in, in the Great Lakes. I got there when it was hot and left when it was cold. Uh, in just a couple months, it's amazing how that, how cold that place could get, boy. And... uh from there, I went to Tennessee. Uh, I did schooling for my rate. I became a aviation ordnance man. Uh, what I did for that was I just dealt with bombs and missiles and the aircraft and stuff that launched these bombs and missiles. And and uh, from there, I went to Japan. And in Japan, my life really started all over. Right? Uh, I thought it was going to start all over, but you know, of course, I ended up gravitating to some of those people that I probably shouldn't have gravitated to. And there's where my drinking took off once again. Well, actually, it never really stopped because when I was in Tennessee, it was a, almost like going to college. You know, you were festive, <laughs> uh, drinking and partying every weekend when you could. And so it never really stopped. And uh, I remember one time, me and a buddy of mine, and we both did martial arts. We were kind of toasty walking from the walking from this club back to the base, and these three people jumped out of the car, and they were going to try to take our money, and that was a mistake from them because we weren't quite that drunk, but we were drunk enough. And we we took care of those three people, and we went to security and had to report them, <laughs> and uh, all we could do is you know, give a description of what happened because we didn't know who they were, but they didn't get anything. Uh, probably some bruises like we had, but they did. They jumped in the car and took off because they couldn't get what they wanted. So, anyway, so anyway, in Japan, started drinking again, and 
you know, some other drug aspects came up and we kind of did those. You know, drug tests were just beginning really in the military in the 80s, so we didn't really worry about it too much at first, but then they started getting heavy on it. So it was just alcohol after a bit. But it was just alcohol after alcohol weekends and during the week and just partying all day and all night. And it's, it just took a toll on my body and my mind. And it was bad. I was depressed. You know, I don't think so much that I was so far away from home because I did have a phone and I did talk to my mother and I called my father. And But, you know, it's just not the same. You know, we didn't have like... FaceTime and stuff like that, like like we do now. You know, communication is much different. Even the email was non-existent. So I just continued to drink and drink and drink and just kind of lost my life. I got in trouble a couple times because of alcohol. And, you know, I couldn't take the orders to leave out of there that I wanted to take. So I ended up coming back to the States and... It just, nothing changed. I still drank, drank, drank. And I eventually found my wife when I was in uh, Point Magoo, California. And, you know, it was her mistake she married me, I guess. But she she eventually got me uh, to to quit drinking, which was a good thing. I mean... It was years and years later where I did end up quitting drinking, but uh, it was just all the hassle that that I went through in my mind because of alcohol and, and the body and the depression. And I don't even know what caused depression and anxiety most of the time, but, you know, it was there. And just didn't know how to deal with anything like that. I was in a new new point of my life because I'm married now and, has stepdaughter who was with has been with me since she was three, four years old, and you know instant family, and I just didn't know what it would be like to be married, but you know I didn't, didn't even think twice probably uh, of what it could be like or what it would be like. You know I never even looked back on my parents to realize what was supposed to be or what I thought was supposed to be. I just did it. And we just went on and on and on because I never stopped. And my wife, she knew it was bad. And she would talk to me, but I was in so much denial because when you're in addiction, you, you do get in a denial of things. And you just don't want to believe it, or you don't believe it, or, I don't know, it's hard to explain, because when, when you're in that situation, you just, you have no realization of what you're doing. And I was just drunk, like, constantly. And whenever I'd go anywhere, she would tell me, don't make a left turn, which basically meant don't go to a liquor store. And we had a, we were beginning our family, so, because when we moved from Point Magoo, we went to San Diego, California, and, and 
actually before that we had my my other daughter uh, she was born in, in Camarillo in Ventura County and then we moved down to San Diego where my son was born and there I got attached to, to a couple ships and been on lots of lots of deployments and seen many things in life that a lot of people really shouldn't see and you know I've never been diagnosed with PTSD but I have been diagnosed with anxiety and depression and I think it's just because I knew the right things to say and at times I wish I didn't because I I would like to know what what was what was real <laughs> cuz reality is even though it's our own perception sometimes I I think we have a tendency to alcohol and drugs to make our own reality too and I just didn't know what was real and and it doesn't really help anything because it brings you into more of a denial in life also. So, and so the addiction got pretty bad. And it was at a time where, you know, I, I transferred to Lemoore, California. And at that time, uh, my mother gave me the news that my stepfather had cancer and he was not doing well. He, he was dying. He was in the hospital. So I went home on emergency leave. And, of course, the heartbreak uh, when somebody that raised you dies of cancer in front of your face. Um, the last time I saw him, he was a big guy. Uh, not fat, big as in... He was in shape for his age because uh, he worked with his hands his whole life. Uh, my guess he'd probably be like 160 or so, you know, and strong. But now he was frail on the bed, white, just looked bad, you know, and kind of gives you another perspective on life. And uh, he died right there in front of us. And, you know... Uh, it was probably the worst death I saw because it was somebody close, you know. Um, other people, you know, just people you knew, even if they were your comrades in the military, it's just not the same. You know, it, it's hard, but it's just not the same. You know, somebody you really loved and that raised you, and, you know, it hits you. It hits you hard, and... Of course, uh, my drinking days as well. So we went out afterwards and, uh, you know, we had his uh, celebration of life, you could call it, in the firehouse because he was a captain in the firehouse for a while and they let us use that space. Then we went to uh, a local bar and, you know, got drunk. And, of course, when you get drunk, your emotions are even crazier than they are when you're not. And we went and dumped his ashes in the Delaware River is what he wanted. And uh, it was cold out. It was kind of breezy. We dumped him off the bridge. And it was just one of the worst worst days of my life, I suppose. And, 
you know, I probably felt the weakest I ever felt because I never showed any emotion like that. And so I finally end up going back home and my my wife gets pregnant with my youngest daughter and we had a a command party, you know, that late summer and I got drunk. And I know um, something happened at home where we got into an argument. And a piece of my life flashed before my eyes. Because I, I, I sort of like saw my, my stepfather. Because when he'd get mad, you know, I just saw his face. And I said, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be that way. I need to stop this. So uh, from that day on, I just didn't drink anymore for a while. And then I did. I got snot slobbering drunk one time. And we were at somebody else's house in the neighborhood, I believe. Uh, my memory is sketchy a lot of times because of alcohol and stuff. And I carried my son home, who was basically an infant. I was trying to put him to sleep, but he was crying. And I had his face against my chest, I guess. was what my wife was telling me, and she was afraid I was going to kill him. And she just went off on me, and she wouldn't talk to me. And there's my life flashed before my eyes. I said, I'm going to lose my family, I'm going to lose my wife, I'm going to lose everything, and... And then from that time on, I just didn't drink anymore. It was a good thing because a year later, I went to the doctor, got some blood tests for some medication they wanted to put me on. And the doctor called me back in. He, he asked me, he goes, how much do you drink? And I said, I don't drink. And he looked me in the eye with a serious look. He said, tell me the truth. How much do you drink? I said, I said, sir, I said, I haven't drank in a year. And he looked at me in amazement. He said, well, it's a good thing because you'd probably be dead right now. You know, and he was feeling on my stomach. My liver was kind of hard still. And my whatever, the lipoid test or whatever it's called, so my liver wasn't doing too well. But fortunately in time, because I guess it wasn't, to the point where it was a total loss, your liver will rebuild itself. So it's been, oh gosh, 20-something years now, probably 24 years since I've drank. So all my blood tests always come back good. So that was a the bottom of my life right there because I thought, I thought I was going to lose everything, you know. And when you think you're going to lose everything, you have a tendency to change. So... Even though it's a bad time in life, it's a plus. Everything is a learning. Everything you learn from in your life. And so you think life could only go onward and upward from there. So I did. I stopped drinking and, you know, and decided, well, you know, I was looking for new orders and 
we didn't want to go back to San Diego because my wife's ex lived down there and and I couldn't stay a little more uh, because the person who gives me water decided to take mine. And said, so, well, we didn't have much of a choice, so we went back to the East Coast. And, of course, when we got back to the East Coast, the first first thing off was going off to sea. <laughs> you know, deployments just never end. Well, that deployment wasn't too bad because it was peacetime. We came back and... We're in the process of fixing our ship and repairs and stuff, what all ships do, an overhaul, and next thing we know, 9-11 hits. And off we go. We get back to deployments for long times, seeing some bad stuff, and, you know, it's just, you just think life is getting better, and sometimes it don't, but... So in the process, and this brings us up to what's even closer for today of where I am. Uh, I started going to church just prior to moving to the East Coast. And when we came to the East Coast, I found a new church right away because I didn't want to lose anything. You know, I didn't want to get out of a habit. And so... I found this new church, and I did. I became a Christian and became began taking college courses because I was all in, and this is what I felt like I should have done uh, for me and for my family. So, And like I said earlier, I always wanted to help people, and becoming a leader in the Navy... And having to counsel a lot of people, I started to think, why, why do you want to help people? Look at these guys, are crazy, you know. Because I had to counsel lots of people, life things, medical things, all kinds of things. So I figured, well, this is the way I could help people, right? So I started in for the ministry and taking college courses for that. And I did. I ended up getting my master's in the ministry, you know, I preached here and there. I, I never became a full-time preacher or anything. But I also took a lot of psychology courses, of course, because I like psychology. And you know, it's just something that I like. So I took lots of courses in that. And I learned the aspects of the human, the aspects of all different types of religion, because I, I studied a lot of religions. And I just noticed how much they're all the same. But at that time, I didn't really realize how we are all so much the same in religion. I just believed that there was one true way. And But as I got older and I kept exploring, and I mean, I mean, it's been years where I went to the same church for years. But then when I moved into my new house, we moved to a new church, which I knew is the same type of church. And I just continued on, but, you know, I just didn't feel at ease in a way. I never said anything to anybody. I just continued on doing what we were doing. And a couple of my kids fell away from the church, and I just kept going with the philosophy and psychology and looking in different religions and just finally clicked, you know. It's, we're all one people, and there is one creator, and 
one universe and one source, uh, whatever you want to call it. And I started investigating into that, and I just noticed all these things. Like, we are one. We are one community. We are united under one spirit. And, you know, just one religion don't do it. And not that I don't call myself a Christian anymore, because that is the one that relates to me, but... I just don't believe that there is one religion that is fit for the whole world. So I believe that everybody has their truth and there is truth in everything, but everything is not truth, of course, because everybody has their own perspective, as I said, and that's why there's so many denominations of each religion and, you know, that's why there are so many religions, because culture and society plays a part in everything so that is where I am in today and with the ministry I did I, I went into clinical Christian counseling and I started that for a while before I really dove into the spiritual side aspects and as I worked with people I just noticed that just like with psychiatrists or psychology, you're not really helping the people. You're just prolonging it. That's my idea, my perspective of it. Because uh, how many people do you know that go see a psychologist just two or three times and, okay, I'm good. You just don't. I mean, it's continued on and on and on. And I figured this is just not right. So um, I was introduced to my mentor and teacher who gave me uh, new views on different ways of spirituality, on unity, and how we are all linked together, and how religion works. Well, not really how religion works, but how we see religion, and you know, all kinds of things like that. And it just opened up my mind more. He didn't make me make me believe anything I didn't already believe. He just gave me some new things to look at. And he just gave me new things to explore and to research, which I love to do because I like to read. And so I began taking life coaching courses and looking into spiritual aspects of other things. And I liked that, so I shifted from the Christian coaching to a life coach. And that's where I developed Mastering Life's Journey, uh, Transformational Life Coaching. Uh, I became certified in hypnosis. Uh, I do, do meditation and uh, chakra cleansing and chakra meditations. And, you know, and this is where I, I've come to find out that my life task is to help people remember, remember the power that they have in their lives, uh, to remember who they were before trauma, to remember to love people, to care about people, to do their best, you know. So I, I, if you, I have a YouTube channel also under Mastering Life's Journey, I just give tidbits of why we should do things in our lives 
just to help us propel forward so we can have the life that we desire. And so that's where I am today. I'm at that point now where I've done a couple years of YouTubes. I've been life coaching for three, four years or so. And I just love it because I see the transformation of people. And to see them live the lives that they want to live. And it's so much better than just regular counseling does. And it's just awesome. So so I wanted to continue to do this, but I'm like, how can I branch out more and help people? And then uh, a friend of mine who does a podcast as a network in New York offered me this podcast class on how to do podcasts. And so now this is my first podcast because of him. His name is Sam Leibowitz. And I'm just so glad that he brought this in because I can not only tell my story, but then I can reach out to others and to other businesses that are like-minded. Um... And I'm gonna do, and I'm gonna do interviews with local businesses that, like I said, are like-minded, uh, spiritually based, life coaching, uh, authors. Um, I don't like the word self-help really, but those type of authors, whoever I can get here to help people in one way or another. Physically, mentally, emotionally, every which way. Because I believe the more ways that we can get the word out, that you can be the best that you can be, will help promote their lives to such a way that this earth, this world, can be so much better because... You know, the world is only as healthy as the healthiest person. Almost like, you know, the weakest link in a fence. You know, in a... Yeah, in a fence. <laughs> I was trying to think of another word. But, you know, if you have a link in, in a chain, that's it. If you have a link in a chain that is weak, that whole chain is weak. So... You know, we want everybody to be strong and confident and, and willing to be their best. And when that happens, the world is so much better. We won't have the homelessness, the hunger, the fear, the anger, everything that is going on that we see now. Look at all the wars that we see, and it's because we are emotionally and mentally weak as a people because we allow these government people, uh, the big businesses rule our lives. You know, because they rule the economy and it all flows into us as individuals. It affects our mental health. It affects our physical health. Because we are depleting the soil, we are depleting the air of all the proper minerals that we need. 
And when our body's weak, our mind is weak. If our mind is weak, our body is weak, our spirituality is weak. And we all need them to work together. And so, in this podcast, that's what I want to do. And in my coaching, that is what I want to do. I want to be a stronger people, a stronger nation, a stronger world, peaceful, as peaceful as we can think anyway. And the more people I can find that are like-minded, that are willing to be like this, you know, to better their lives so they can better somebody else's. Because our lives are best when we are serving. That That's just the truth. You know, our lives are better when we are serving other people, when we help other people. If we stand alone in our house, in our car, whatever, just paying attention to nothing but TV or video games, and we are not with people socializing because we are a social animal, we are not helping others go further in life than we are not helping ourselves. So that is where we are today, and I look forward to all of you listening to my next podcast, and all my guests that I plan on having. I don't have a list that I could give to you right now because I'm just now beginning to uh, figure out who I want. You know, I do have a few that I have lined up. Um, And they are coaches. Um, They are intentional people. They are powerful people. But there are also some businesses, like I said earlier, that I'm looking at uh, that promote health, that promote mental stability and I just can't wait to get these people on here to send out the knowledge and the intention that we belong that we all love one another and that we can help and serve each other so again I appreciate you coming here to guidepost to the crossroads and uh, what I didn't explain was the name I posted the crossroads. <laughs> well, I was thinking that, you know, being that's what I do, I help guide people. I don't tell them which route to take. So if we come to a fork in the road, I'm just a guidepost. I just help you remember, realize who you are, what you want to be, and we weigh the options. Which way do you want to go? Because it's your choice. We are a people of free will, and we have the right to choose to go the way we want to go. So I just guide you through whatever crossroad that you want to go. There is no right, there is no wrong, it is only you and what you need for your life and what you need to do to live your life the way you want. Because it is a better life. Thank you.